0: Sunday church. How are we doing? Awesome. Happy fall. Uh, How many of you love pumpkin spice lattes? You know you can get them all year round, FYI. How many of you are not basic? You don't care. Yes, perfect. All right, good. Uh, Well, I'm so glad that you guys are here. Thanks for spending part of your Sunday with us. My name is Kurt. I'm one of the pastors here and we are concluding today a series we've been in for the entire month of September looking at this idea of Revealed. The, the church, the, this thing that we are all a part of, whether you meant to be or not, you're here this morning and you're invited to be a part of this thing, uh, has actually been best revealed as, as the way that God wants to show his heart to the world. That you and I are invited to be people, to be a community, uh, to reveal who God is and what he's all about to people around us. And so we looked throughout this month at a different kind of imagery uh, that the scripture uses to describe the church and I don't know if you are like me and you grew up in church or maybe you're kind of new to this thing, but all of us probably have or, or even know people that have stories where the church has been a, a painful experience for them. And so they might use some different uh, language to describe their church experience than we've looked at. Uh, but as we've looked at these different things, we started off looking at how we are actually described in the scriptures as the bride of Christ. That Jesus is our focal point of our affection and our attention, and that we want to be a Jesus Church, that when people know about us, what they hear about us is man, they're serious about. Jesus, that that's what we're rooted in. We also learned the next week that we are actually the body of Christ, that we all actually fit together. And so if you ever feel like, I don't know where I belong, you belong somewhere. You actually have a part to play. And that when we actually kind of walk with each other and do this church thing, we actually feel what each other feels. And we're all interconnected in ways that we actually can't even really put words to because we represent Jesus here on the planet. Last week we talked about how we're the family of God. This idea of the church can actually be what God uses to perhaps for you, restore and redeem uh, the, the experience of family that you've had, whether that's been positive or negative, and that as we engage together as the family of God, that we actually see people differently. We actually look around and say, man, your needs can actually be something I can come and meet. I actually care and have a bigger image of the world than just what's happening right in front of me. And today, as we wrap up this series, we're looking at Probably the most commonly uh, understood and misunderstood idea when it comes to how people would describe the church. Talking about how we are the house of God. And so I don't know about you, uh, if you grew up kind of stable, living in the same house Uh, most of your life or if you had a kind of a crazy, you know, life where you moved all over the place or maybe you were in a military family and so home was, you know, a couple years stint at the the most and and kind of different houses was all over the place for you and that was your kind of growing up experience. I grew up uh, in the same house from when I was about two years old and my parents still lived there. Uh, So very, very stable in terms of childhood. But uh, Kate and I did the math the other week. Since we've been married 12 and a half years, we've lived in eight different places. Uh, yeah, so uh, kind of crazy, uh, and we're not in the military, right, so I don't know what our excuse is, um, but we've moved around a lot, and, 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 and most of them were in the Midwest, and then obviously uh, earlier this year, we moved back here and lived with my mother-in-law for a month, and that was exciting uh, for her. Uh, she's like, you guys are great. Welcome home. Uh, but, you know, we all have this experience, right, when you're looking for a place to live, whether uh, because you have been renting and now you can afford to buy a house and you're really excited about it, or your lease is up, or you did something and your landlord kicked you out. I don't know what your story is. No judgment. Uh, but when you have to look for a new place to live, uh, you have a list, most of us, in, in your mind. Uh, and if you know what's on that list, that's great. You can actually tell your realtor, hey, here's my list, and he or she will help you uh, accomplish that list as best they can, uh, except when the price tag shows up. I would love an infinity pool, six bedrooms, uh, granite countertops for about 150 k ish Right in there. That would be great. Can you find that? Um, but, you know, we all have this list. Some of them are, are clear. Some of them are, are just, like, you know, things you can, you can know if you like or what not. But whenever you walk into a place, there's a moment. If you've ever had that time where you're like, this is going to be the house, this is going to be the condo, this is going to be the apartment, you walk in and that feeling happens where you're like, this could be home. Like, th- like, I can see my kids playing in that yard. I can see our family gathered for a holiday around, you know, the living room and having a meal or watching a game. and laugh. I-, I could see walking in this door every day for the foreseeable future. Like, you have that feeling. And, and sometimes you can explain it, you're like, It's because the door is blue. I don't know why. I just want a calming presence when I walk in. And other times you can't put your finger on it. But we've all had that moment where this house, maybe one of hundreds of houses even, that you've seen, you're like, this one could be home. And a house and a home are different things, aren't they? They're two different things. And a home becomes a home, not because of construction. Sometimes you might want to move things around. You might want to add a wall or take away a wall. You want to put your furniture around, put art on the wall, whatever it might be for you. Uh... But you know that for a house to become home, it doesn't happen automatically. It, and it might not even be easy. There's sacrifice involved. There's changes you might have to make. There's investment you'll have to in, you know, put into this process to make a house become a home. And maybe you've had that experience. I know we have. And, and yet when you're in those spaces, when there's something that has to be invested, it doesn't feel often. It doesn't often feel like it's a sacrifice. There's a joy attached to it. There's an excitement attached to it. Uh, I remember when we were uh, first married, we were living in the Midwest, and we were away from our families, and so that was really exciting for most of the year, but then around the holidays, it was like, oh, man, we don't have anywhere to go, and uh, we didn't come back for our first Thanksgiving, but we invited some folks that were in our church community at the time to come over uh, for Thanksgiving that year. It's like, they didn't have anywhere to go. We don't have anywhere to go, so we had no business having that many people in our one-bedroom apartment, but come on over. Uh, And and, and somehow... uh, I'm sure I got it wrong. Uh, I miscommunicated the time that people were supposed to arrive. You've ever had that problem? Uh, so uh, don't leave it up to the person that is bad with calendars in your relationship. Uh, and so I, I think told them the right time of 5.30, but I'm pretty sure I, they might've heard 2.30. I don't know how they did that. I don't know if it was a translation error. I thought we both spoke English, uh, but I, th- I, th- I must've gotten it wrong. And, and they showed up at 2.30 and I'm in gym shorts in a tank top, swiffering the floor turkey has just gone in the oven. The game's not even on. I don't even have a diversion, you know. Uh, and, uh, And it was like, oh, and they, you know, they showed up with Pampered Chef and, you know, hot pot holders like, happy Thanksgiving. What are you wearing? You know, and it's like, oh my gosh. And you have that moment where I was not ready for guests, right? Because anytime you invite someone over to your house, that invitation necessitates an investment right? Because you either clean up more, or you make a meal, or you send out an invitation. But home is both this idea of an invitation and an investment. There's both. And, and you know this, and, and unfortunately for our friends that Thanksgiving, they thought I had forgotten it. And so it was real awkward. They sat there for a couple hours, and eventually I put on like guest-appropriate, you know, holiday wear. Uh, I'm sure there was flannel involved because it was the Midwest, but let's go for it. And so you have this experience where you understand there's an investment I have to make to make a house, a home. And when you have people over, it's a joy, but but it's real. It doesn't come automatically. And yet, as we look at this idea of the house of God, I wonder if there's something more to it, more to that description than just you're going to have an actual building. You're going to have a number of walls and, and ceiling and a carpet and, you know, This carpet ain't going to do it for anybody, I promise you. There's got to be something more. And yet you have that moment where you experience a sense of home, that invitation, that investment, where you feel at home. Something shifts. And I think when God talks about the church being the house of God in the scriptures, he's referring a lot more to home than just a structure. Because home has a lot more to do with care than just construction, and so as we look at this passage, I want you to grab a Bible and turn to Matthew 16. If you brought your own, that's great. If not, you can find it on your phone or follow along on the screen. In the seatback pocket, there's a blue Bible. If you want to grab that one, on this Bible, it's going to be on page 480. We're turning to Matthew chapter 16. This is uh, one of Jesus's closest followers. His account of Jesus' life, and we've read this passage before. But I thought it was worth mentioning as we begin uh, our time together today looking at this because it really begins the moment. It marks this page-turning moment where Jesus describes what it is. We're talking about of building, the house of God. They're walking on the road to a, a town about 100 miles north of Jerusalem called Caesarea Philippi. And this town was really, really important at the time because right about the time Jesus was about 10 years old, uh, getting his learner's license, you know, whatever, back then, uh, 10 to 15 years old, he, uh, they named this town uh, Caesarea. They added it Caesarea Philippi because they were naming it for Caesar Augustus, who had just died. Uh, And Caesar Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. And, And in Roman culture, as we learned before, adoptive sons specifically were given incredible rights and privileges And so he was the first real emperor of Rome. This was in Roman-occupied empire. Uh, And they're walking to this town, and I'm sure they're having this conversation on the way of like, man, how cool is that? guy went from a nobody to being the adopted son of Julius Caesar, the emperor that we deified in Roman culture. He's like the son of a god. But then, you know, he died. So we'll name a city after him. There's this robust city. It's not there anymore. Uh, But at the time, it was a, a pretty big metropolis. And they were walking there. And Jesus has this kind of existential crisis where he asks people, who, who do people say that I am? When you, you hear a word on the, on the street, what, what are they saying? And some are like, oh, you're John the Baptist reincarnated. Some say you're Elijah back from the dead. Like a really confusing you know, theological uh, hairball in that moment. And then Jesus asks them this pointed question. And Matthew records it in Matthew 16, uh, verse 15. It says, but who do you say that I am? Lots of people out there have lots of opinions, but you've been following me for a couple of years now. What do you think? Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Caesar Augustus was son of this deified Julius Caesar, but, you know, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my father, God, who is in heaven. He's like, Peter, you're not that smart, but, but yes, you're right. Like someone told you this and it wasn't just what you've heard around. That was the spirit of God speaking to you because what you've just said is so important. This becomes a page turning moment for all of his immediate followers and all of us now, thousands of years later, and the next prediction, the next thing Jesus says is absolutely unbelievable. Meaning, you should not actually believe it if you don't have the privilege of history that we do. Right? He says this. He says, I tell you this, Peter, this statement that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. On this rock, I will build my, what's that word? Church. church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And, and I can imagine in the middle of this desert, hundreds of miles from their kind of center of religious and social life, his disciples look around and like, really? Like the 13 of us? Like, yeah, we got you, Jesus, but we also got Judas. Balance it out. You know, like what like the, what are we going to build? And this word church that you guys said, it, it's such a unique word that obviously, um, you know, there's a lot of different concepts around the idea of church, but when Jesus was walking around, he was speaking this language called Aramaic, which is a non-written language. And so when Matthew writes this down, he wrote it down in Greek, and he used this word ecclesia for the word church, which means this gathering, this movement of people, this assembly, a better translation, congregation. And he's like, I'm going to, Jesus is like, I'm going to build this movement that even the gates of hell don't stand a chance against. And they're in the middle of the desert with 13 people. And, and they're walking through the city named after the deified Roman emperor. And he says, even hell has no chance against this. And then he continues, jump down a couple of verses. Verse 21, and from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him you ever had those moments where you try to encourage someone and tell them the right thing, but it doesn't go so well? Like, you, you just had your shining moment. Peter, that's right. God told you that on this rock. We're going we're gonna to build an assembly. And he goes, yeah, Peter's feeling confident. No, Jesus, we are not going to go die. And Jesus pulls him aside and says, get behind me, Satan. It's aggressive. All right, so Jesus has renamed Peter once, and now he does it again just a few sentences later. Uh, Luckily, this one was just temporary. Uh, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Because I get stuck in this same pattern I think Peter gets stuck in all the time. Where Jesus says, we're going to build this thing. We're going to do this thing called the church. We're going to be this gathering. we going to change the world. Even hell has no chance compared to what God's going to do in and through your life. Peter's like, yeah. And then he's like, so what's going to happen is the next move is I'm going to have to die. And Peter's like, wait a second. What? What's happening? I thought we were going up and to the right. And what Jesus is saying is that this thing that we're going to do, this prediction I'm making of who we're going to become, it's going to happen, but it's not always going to be easy. It's actually not always even going to be free. It actually is going to require sacrifice. And so from this point forward, to follow Jesus meant you had to be open to and ready for sacrifice. And Peter didn't like that. And he says, you know what? Here's the thing, Jesus. You're kind of a big deal. Like people really love what you're doing. And there's crowds. I mean, when we left Jerusalem, people wanted to follow us. But you know, after about the 50th mile, they're like, you know, I'll, I'll wait. Uh, you can come back. Uh, and, but but when we get back to Jerusalem, there's going to be people there, and they're excited about you. I mean, you know, you're healing people, and, and, and you're feeding people, and you're turning water into wine. Everybody loves that guy. Uh, you know, you heal. Peter's like, you'd heal my mother-in-law. Like, I'm still figuring out how I feel about that, but that's great. You're heal, healing people. Uh, this is amazing, and people are excited about what you're doing, and if they're excited about you, they're going to be excited about us, because we're like your entourage, and so this is this is good. We're going to establish the kingdom of heaven like you were talking about. We're going to build this church, and we're going to charge hell with a squirt gun. It's going to be great. And, and, and then, but, but then you're going to, you're going to get arrested and, and killed? That doesn't go so well for me. That doesn't sound like what I'm hopeful for and what we're going to get out of this relationship. That's actually not what I signed up for, Jesus. And yet what Peter expresses, which I think is so bold and, and courageous, is that he has the authenticity to say, I kind of want something out of this relationship. And the things that I thought I was going to get, that sounds like that's not the direction that we're going. And what what he means well is what I mean well to do all the time, but yet it misses the point of what Jesus actually came to establish. And what Jesus is telling Peter is, Peter, you're thinking like a consumer, not a follower. You're thinking like, what are you going to get out of this? How's this going to go well for you? You're not thinking about, this as being a follower saying, you changed my life, so whatever it takes, I'm going that same direction. And so that's why Peter, you know, is this moment of this highlight of like, you did it, you got it right. And it seems like the very next moment Jesus is so harsh with him is because to derail Jesus from the mission that he was on would be to undo the possibility of salvation for every single one of us. And so Jesus calls it As it is, and says, No, 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 no. You have your eyes on things of this world, not on things of God. Because isn't it true? God wants to do something, but it never looks like what we want. And it never seems to go the way we had hoped or even planned. And so, as Jesus stands on this hillside outside of this town and says, This is going to be a new day. And he says, I'm going to establish this congregation, this church, this ecclesia. They all knew that it was, they were a part of it. It was very clear from that point forward, there was no more spectating. This wasn't here for what they could gain. It was here for what they could contribute. And, and yet when you see a space in your life where you've had to choose something that was difficult, where you've had to choose to kind of say, hey, I want this, but instead I'm gonna do this. I mean, this isn't a religious concept. We've done, you've done this probably this week. I would love a second helping of dessert, but instead I'm gonna pass. Uh, I, I would love a double bacon cheeseburger, but instead I'm gonna have salad. Uh, you've had, maybe that's just because that's what I'm struggling with right now. Uh, but perhaps you've done this in some ways. Like, you know, like, I, I would love to you know, get that promotion, but I know my kids need me to be home at a certain time. Right? Whatever it might be in your life where you have had those spaces where you have to make a choice. And you can choose to say, I'm gonna go after the things that I want or I'm gonna go after the things of God and how they're gonna show up in my world. And, and when Peter heard that, It was such a profoundly challenging space for him, so much so that later in his life, when he was writing, after this is the death and resurrection of Jesus, he was writing to some other churches, encouraging them, saying, hey, this church thing that we're involved in, this this thing that we're doing, it's so different than what you're used to. You see, Peter was a good Jewish boy. He grew up in the temple model. In the center of Jerusalem, there was the temple, and it had been there for almost 700 years. And before that, it was a tabernacle where God's presence literally dwelled in that sacred real estate. You can still go to the Holy Land now and go to Jerusalem and see stone after stone, this huge, massive structure where you can walk in. And there was four sections of it. And it was incredible. It still is to look at. There was the outer section where non-Jews could come kind of be close to the action, but they were still on the outside. So that's probably most of us. That's as close as we could get to God. You could eavesdrop on the spiritual conversation. Inside the, the Solomon's Porch area, which is where good Jews could come a couple times a year. They'd pay sacrifices. They, they would, they'd move into the city, and the city of Jerusalem would just swell from people all over the area as they celebrated Passover or the Feast of Tabernacles. And they would celebrate together inside the actual temple, inside the building, right, inside the, the house of God, only a select you know, section of the Jewish population, the Levites and, and the priests, could be. And in the very, very center where God was believed to actually live, where the veil separated anybody else from coming in except for one time a year, the high priest, after a very rigorous cleaning ritual, could go in one time a year to offer sacrifices, to pay for all the mess up things that the entire civilization did that previous year. You better hope he did it right. Because he did it for you and for me. That was the system. There was sacred real estate and sacred people sacred practices, so much so that they would actually tie a rope to his ankle with like a jingle bell on it so that if he did it wrong and God struck him dead, they could pull him out and try again. Imagine that situation. That would be an intense year. Sorry, guys, uh, that thing you did at work where you kind of fudged the numbers, it didn't get covered this year, so be on your best behavior. Like, that was the system, right? And it was hugely fear-driven and hugely tradition-driven and hugely other-focused driven. You couldn't do it for yourself. You had no access to God because he lived in the house and you weren't allowed inside. You know, what Peter experienced from Jesus is that actually all of us, all of us, not the temple, all of us are the house of God. This church, this gathering, this was so profound for him that when he writes to this group of churches in modern-day Turkey, in his epistle in 1 Peter, he uses incredible language. I think it's so helpful as we study this idea. So, again, grab this blue Bible, turn to page 588. This is the same Peter that was called the rock, and then moments later was told to get behind Jesus uh, because he was missing the point. And in 1 Peter 2, he writes this to people following Jesus that were away from Jerusalem. They didn't have a temple to go to. And he says, so put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. That's just good life advice from Peter right there. Uh, Your marriage will be better, your workplace will be better, all that. But like, why does he start there? I think it's because of what he's about to say. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And I want to ask you, church, has the Lord been good to you? Like for real, when you think about it, Do you wake up in the morning in the midst of your circumstances, in the midst of your marriage struggle, in the midst of your job insecurity, in the midst of the things that you don't have that you wish you did, that your neighbor does or that your cousin does across town, whatever it might be for you, do you start every day going, you know what, but God's still been good to me. Actually, the fact that God did whatever it took, I don't have to. He already did it to save me from the penalty of my sin. I don't have to earn it. I don't have to run from my past anymore. I can be forgiven. I can have an invitation to be a part of this thing called the church. Wow. God actually has been really good to me. I don't have everything I want. I don't have everything that I wish I could do, but there is something that says, man, I'm invited into something deeper. Peter starts there and said, get rid of all that stuff that will take your eyes and distract you from what God has done for you and in you and through you because of what he's about to say. He says, so as you come to him, meaning Jesus, a living stone, look at that reference, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones. Wait, hold up, Peter, You're just comparing who we are to what Jesus is like? I don't think Peter's playing around here. This wasn't a mistake in translation. He's saying, you are like living stones, just like Jesus. You are these living and active things that build up the temple. These people would have been to Jerusalem. They would have seen humongous stones. that They still don't, archaeologists still don't know how they got there uh, in that period of history, but they're there. Like, you've seen those big stones. You've put prayers in between those stones on the western wall of the temple. You've had that experience But that is no longer how God operates in the world. You are those stones built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter is responding to the fact that Jesus turned this temple model upside down and inside out to where instead of only select people at select places doing certain things at select times, could God intervene and interact with us? We actually, all of us now have an invitation to understand that God came and moved into the neighborhood and wants to be with you and in you and active through your life and that you are invited to be as if you were the high priest. You, right where you sit, with all your doubts, with all of your past junk, with all of your excuses, and all the reasons why you don't feel qualified, the God of the universe who knows you the best and loves you the most says, there's something in you. There's something in you that's needed to build this spiritual house. That these, these spiritual practices and sacrifices that you and I make, the equipment that Jesus is building his church with, it's you and me, the relationships that we have, the gifts that he's placed in every single one of us, that you and I are invited to be, not to come to, to be the house of God. He references this old passage that they would have known really well, where it says, behold, I'm laying in Zion, meaning in Israel, a stone, a chief cornerstone, chosen and precious And whoever believes in him, referencing Jesus as the cornerstone, will not be put to shame. And so the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This moment where we look at this idea that there's an honor given to you and I. There's an invitation to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. There's something that God desires and actually designed you to jump into, to contribute, to be a part of something that you don't just consume. You're not just a watcher. You're not just a spectator. But actually, there's a space where you fit in the house of God. And if you've ever been to a place where you had like a a brick house or a stone house, if you lose a stone, there's a structural integrity issue. And the house is vulnerable. And Jesus looks around at every single one of his followers including Peter, including Matthew, and including Judas, who would betray him, would lead to his death and says, you are living stones. You are a part of the house of God. You are how I'm gonna build my church. And he says it to every single one of you, in spite of all the reasons that you feel unqualified. Unqualified. of all the reasons that you still don't know if you even believe. All the good reasons that you have to avoid being a part of the church because of your past church experience. But my guess is the reason that your past church experience was painful was not because they viewed the church as a people becoming the house, but they viewed it as an institution that says, hey, we got four walls and a front door and we can keep people out if we don't like them. And that's the exact opposite of what Jesus has invited us to build. So much so that Peter, even though he was the one that said, Jesus, don't let this happen to you, you be killed, would actually go back to Jerusalem and be crucified upside down for his faith in Christ. Go back to Jerusalem and, and learn what it means to follow Jesus and to plant the church. He would travel to Rome where he would be arrested, where he wrote this passage to the churches where they buried him in Rome, they actually built on top of his burial a beautiful church building. Maybe you've been to it. It's the center point of faith and piety for millions of Christians called the Vatican. And I wonder if Peter is like, you missed it. It's great what you're doing, but, but there's no more sacred real estate that every person you interact with, like that's great and all and the gold is pretty, but every single person you come eyeball to eyeball with, the ones that go to the same address as you on Sunday mornings, the one who think like you, the ones who don't vote like you, the ones who don't look like you, the ones who don't sound like you, the ones who even don't honor the same God that you do the same way that you do, you will never go to a place more sacred than the person you lock eyes with on any given moment of any given day. That you... Are a holy priesthood. You are a sacred place. You are the house of the Lord. This idea would be so challenged throughout time that even that first passage that we looked at, where uh, Jesus says, "I'm going to build my church," that word "ekklesia" in Greek, there wasn't a good translation. So when when the the Bible was translated into Latin, and then the Geneva Bible was translated. Uh, They actually changed that word from ecclesia to a German word that means house, means building. And that's where we get the common misconception of church is this address. Church is a place. Church is a structure. I'm going to church. About 400 years ago, William Tyndale was the first uh, English uh, writer to translate the entire Bible, specifically the New Testament, from Greek. To English, And when he got to this passage and he got to that word ecclesia, he's like, wait, this is brand new information. They translated it wrong. It doesn't mean building. It means congregation. And they burned him at the stake for it and martyred him a heretic. And now, for many of you perhaps, if you were to go home and find your Bible and blow the dust off of it and look on the spine, some of them might say Tyndale Publishing. Named after him. Because he was right. This building can come and go. You know that if you've been here for any length of time. You look at the timeline. We've been in a number of different buildings. Church is you and me. And Jesus says, I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build it through you. That, That you're not only what it's for, you're what it's by. And that Peter would so clearly say that if Jesus shed his blood to buy the church, which is what he believed happened when he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. If Jesus shed his blood to buy the church, he would say, we need to give our lives to build it. If Jesus shed his blood to buy the church, we should give our lives to build it. Peter did, he died for it. And there's this moment where he understands that anything good takes sacrifice. A good marriage takes sacrifice. A great church takes sacrifice. A good business takes sacrifice. Healthy kids takes sacrifice. And so while Jesus promises in this unlikely place it is going to happen, it doesn't mean it's going to happen automatically. That There's this moment where we have to engage and say, how can I contribute? How can I show up to be a living stone? That when you invest your time and sacrifice uh, your freedom on the weekends to show up a little early and, and be in the life of a third grader, you're a living stone. That when you show up and shake hands and let people know, hey, that feeling that you're wondering, that sense of home that you've been lacking, hey, you can find it here. You're a living stone. That when you use whatever gifts you have, whether that's singing or technology or engineering or financial planning, whatever it might be, you find a way to leverage who God has made you to be to make his church beautiful. You are becoming a living stone. And that invitation isn't just for the select super spiritual ones of us. <laughs> so we still get this temple model stuck in our, in our mind and in our heart. Oh, the pastors will do that. The priests will do that. That's probably for my small group. That's probably, no, 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 no. That's for you. All of you regardless of what season of life you're in regardless of how like i said qualified you might feel or unqualified you might feel i regularly feel unqualified to stand on this stage and lead this place so i'll be the first to go hey i don't i don't think i have what it takes i don't think peter felt like he always had what it took either and i think that's the beauty of this thing is that it's everyday ordinary people in our everyday ordinary lives being living stones, saying, I'm going to show up. I'm going to take my place. I'm going to be a part of what God wants to do in and through his church in my lifetime. See, in the last seven months or so since we've been here, we've seen Jesus be, you know, consistently fulfilling that promise, that unlikely prediction that he made outside uh, Caesarea Philippi, where he says, I'm going to build my church. In just the last seven months, here at this little cul-de-sac of the kingdom, we've seen 39 people begin a relationship with Jesus, that their life has been changed. We've seen seven of them get baptized and to say, hey, I don't, I don't know what my future holds, but I know who holds my future. And some of those were children saying, my life and my allegiance belongs to Jesus. We've seen 37 people find out how they've been gifted and to consistently jump into a volunteer role where they're showing up, not as a consumer, not asking, what do I get out of church today? But they're saying, I'm a living stone. What can I give? And it costs them something to give. Just remember that. They're busy just like you. Their Saturday night probably had plans just like yours did. And yet they were here. We've seen 550 people show up on Easter Sunday, 447 adults and 103 kids on the moment that marks our faith, the resurrection story that we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God and that he's going to build his church. And, and, And those numbers, they're not just numbers. Every number has a name and every name has a story and some of those stories are yours. Some of those stories are your family members. Some of those stories are your coworkers or friends. Some of those stories are my friends, my family. And they didn't come here and they weren't brought into this idea of the church because the building was great. They didn't get a sense of home because of the construction. You helped them feel like they were home. You did. There's people in our church that They live their life in a posture of serving and sacrifice. They're not any better educated than you are. They're not any more free in their time. They don't have it all figured out. They haven't been doing this Jesus thing necessarily any longer than you. They just live their life say, I'm going to lean into the model of my Savior, just like Peter did. People like Becky and Bill Bond. People who say, you know what, I get it. When you come to a new place, there's like this security blanket that happens when you have something warm in your hand. You can just have a conversation because you're holding coffee. You just feel more at ease. And so she's here on the weekends prepping and she's here early making coffee so that when you come in, it's waiting for you. That's her way of saying, hey, I want you to feel like you're home here. Bill has taken care of this physical building, cleaning it, painting it, repairing things and more lists than we can come up with because that's his way of using who God's made him to be to say, I want you to feel at home here. So I'm going to show up and be my living stone self so that you have home here. It's people like Alan and Allison and Abella, who even right now are serving in our kids' life in the babies' and toddlers' room. I mean, that is a thankless job. They never go, you know what, thanks so much for being here and sacrificing your weekend. I'm sure, I mean, it's a nice day outside. I'm sure there's plenty of things you wish you could be doing. No, all they do is scream, cry, poop, and then repeat, right? That's just what they do. And they're there not because they're babysitting, so you get a chance to have an hour without them. They see it as leadership development, that God's given them something to say, I want to invest that even in the smallest members of our church. They're living stones. They show up to church not for what they can get, but for what they can give. It's like Dana and Kale Quatrell, who for years have trans, you know, trans gone over the things that we've done here in our church and and just found so many ways. I, I don't have it all together, but whatever God is doing in our story right now, I want to share it leading small groups, working with our marriage ministry. This week, Kale was here building the uh, ape enclosure slash drum shield. Uh, You know, just using his engineering background to say, what can I do to help make our church better, our people better, our experience better? They show up saying, how can I serve? It's like Paul and Kathleen Staley. The stories in the short time I've been here that I've heard where they have actively sought out how they can help people in financial struggle, or in moments of need, or just some emotional encouragement. They look for places to sacrifice. They look for places for God to use what they have. They're living stones. It's people like Nick Mallory, who knows that Jesus has transformed his life. And so he shows up early before most of us, (laughs) even staff members like me. He's here running sound, in the back, a thankless job. He doesn't do it for applause. In fact, he would hate it right now if we gave him applause, but I think we should. Um, He does it because Jesus has sustained him and changed his life. And he wants people to hear that Jesus can be there for them too. And so he does something in the back. Doesn't need to be up front, doesn't need to be in the lights, but he wants to make sure you hear the message that Jesus loves you, it's captivated his heart. He's a living stone. And and this is the invitation that Jesus gives to every single one of us. In fact, in Luke 6, Luke records something that Jesus said I think is so powerful for us. It says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and yet not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, he's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose and the stream broke against the house, it could not shake it because it had been well built. He goes on to tell a story of a man who wanted beachfront property, and in that same storm, he got washed away. And there's nothing wrong with living at the beach. If you do, I'd love your address. I'll show up unannounced to sit on your porch. Uh, but it's this idea of what are you anchoring your life in? this idea that that same word is a rock, it's not actually meaning the same thing, but I think the principle still applies, that when we dig down and put the, the foundation of our life on the rock, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And for the sake of our conversation this morning, even more importantly, when we base our foundation as an organization, as a church, as a congregation, as an assembly, deep down enough on the fact that Jesus can sustain you even through the craziest storms of life, we will be strong enough to stand. Not just your own storm, but that you are invited to build a house, to be a house so secure in Christ so that when the storm comes raging, at someone else's life. Someone you know, someone that lives in your neighborhood, someone that works at your company, someone that's in your family, or someone that you don't. that life just comes beating at their life. And for whatever reason, in a moment of desperation or soul-searching or just they've exhausted every other option, and so they show up at this building, you have created a sense of home that can support and welcome them. That you got to be a part of that. That their life would be radically changed, and my guess is yours would be as well. Because we got to be the house of God for someone. So here's what I want us to do. In a minute, I'm going to have, well, I'm not going to do anything. The tech, our amazing volunteers are going to put a lineup on the screen. And if it is the cry of your heart after this message, and you want to commit to being a part of building this particular house, of being a living stone, I want you to say it like you mean it. And so spouses, no elbows, right? Free pass right? Do not elbow somebody next to you, because uh, fake promises don't matter, right? Fake promises don't matter. If Jesus could stand in the middle of the desert with 13 people and change the world, outlast the empire and the leader that was named after the, the town that was named after them, they were heading to, and yet here we are 2,000 years later, thousands of miles away, still talking about Jesus I got Caesar Augustus and Julius Caesar mixed up at the 9 a.m. Nobody knows, right? Who cares? (laughs) But thousands of years later, we're still here rooting our life to the person and the call and the resurrection of Jesus. There is nothing that can stand against that. So whether you got 13 people or 130 people or 13,000 people, it doesn't matter because the Spirit of God is on the move. And so fake promises from us don't mean anything. Jesus is going to build his church with me or without me, with you or without you. Bono stole that line, right? It's not about what we contribute. But why would you want to miss out on that? So in a minute, this line's going to be up on the screen. I will take responsibility to make this house a home. And if you want to do that, I want to invite you to say it like you mean it. All right? On the count of three. She's ready. I will take responsibility for making this house a home. One, two, three. I will take responsibility for making this house a home. Let's do it again. I will take responsibility for making this house a home. See, you got to understand, people will know how much God loves them by how well we serve them. That's it. It's that simple. Because you can build a big, fancy building and it'll attract people for a week. But they're going to stick because they talked to you and you made them feel like they were home. You're gonna do that because they showed up in your home for a life group or you served them coffee or you welcomed them in with a smile and it was the first one they got all week. You never know what people walk in here with. It's because you offered the little that you felt like you had into the hands of a God who says, that's enough, I'll take that. We're gonna do something with that together. And so you and I get the invitation to be the living stones, to share the message that the church is still the best positioned place on the planet for people's biggest problems of sin, shame, and sorrow. And, and that's been your story. The church has been the safe house for you. And the invitation from your loving Heavenly Father and mine is, will you show up to make that house a home for someone else? If we want God to give us more opportunity, we have to take more responsibility. And so I want to invite you right now, because again, empty promises mean nothing, to grab your cell phone out of your pocket, out of your purse. Actually do it. I'll do it as well. And go to that website, existencechurch.com info. And on there, maybe for some of you, the way you're going to do that is you're going to RSVP for movement. You're going to say, I want to get involved in the strategy of what we're doing. I want to connect relationally. I want to grow spiritually. I want to serve with dignity. I want to build sacrificially. And I'll give you the cliff notes. All we're going to ask you to do is be you. That's it. You're the living stone. So on that same website, you can sign up for a serving team. You can fill out that communication card, and we already have your information. You already get our emails. You delete them or put them in your promotions folder. I get all that. But this time, fill it out and say, I want information about serving." I want to know how I can discover how I'm gifted so I can play a role. I can show up not as a consumer but as a living stone. I want to make this house a home. For some of you, you're going to click the giving link. And for a long time or maybe for your whole life, talking about money in church has been a sticking point for you because you thought Jesus was here to make your life better. And there are so many reasons that you should follow Jesus that will make your life better. He'll make you a better husband. He'll make you a better wife. He'll make you a better leader. He'll make you a better parent. That's all true, but that's not why we do it. We follow the ways of Jesus because he is the suffering servant leader. He gave everything to sacrifice himself so that you and I can even begin the conversation about how do we connect with God so there's no sacrifice that we could hold back that would match what he's already done for you. And he did it for you whether you ever do anything in return. But for some of you say, hey, I want to I contribute. That's the way I can take responsibility. Is, I don't have a lot. I'm still trying to figure out my own finances. And, and it's touch and go sometimes. But I can give something so that when in a year we share those stories and it's not 39, it's 139 people that have a started a relationship with Jesus, that some of them you would know you're a stakeholder in, because you invited them, or you gave to create an environment where they could hear that God loves them, or you sat next to them, and you welcomed them in, and, and you had your plan to sit in your spot, in your seat, but you changed your, you changed your route, because you saw someone needed a friend. What's it going to be for you? But if you call this place home, there's no There's no sidelines you don't want to be on the sidelines. You want to be in the game. Because the church of Jesus is the most powerful force on the planet. And it will outlast you and it will outlast me. It will outlast this building and it will outlast our country. But you have an opportunity to play a part in it today. So we're going to do something that we do every time that we gather together. and We're going to receive our offering. And you're like, "Good, good transition there, Kurt. It's like you planned that. And we do this every week. This isn't a thing. This is an opportunity for those of us that know what Jesus has saved us from. That know that he calls you a holy priesthood and you're like, you got the wrong guy. That calls me to play a part of being his house and being his bride and being his family and being his body on the planet out of all of my sin and all the ways I screw up and all the ways I still am not sure. He goes, yeah, you too. You can come along. In fact, I'm going to use you beyond your wildest dreams. So that's why we give. It's not to pay God back or to pay him off. It's because what else can I do? What sacrifice could I make that would even come close to expressing the gratitude I have that Jesus saved my life? I don't know about you, if you're, if you're a guest or you're like, I don't know if I, I'm in all this stuff, you can let this moment pass you by. But if you're here and Existence Church has played a role in your story, and it's reminded you of who Jesus is and who you actually are, and has invited you to play a part to say, you have a role in the house of God. Don't hold back anymore. Straight up, don't miss out. Serve, give, show up, find how you're gifted. Do something be a living stone and you will never regret it. You'll never regret it. I don't think Peter did. I know I have. Because when your friend or your family member crosses the line of faith, anything you gave, time, energy, finances, will all be worth it. When they shine their light or they stand up and you see what happens, life so if you're able would you stand with me I want to pray for us that we would become the house that God dreams for us to become that those of us that say I'm, I'm in this I'm following Jesus I'm not a consumer I'm a follower that we would do whatever it takes to create home for someone else And so there's four ways you can give you can do that uh, with the buckets that are coming down your aisle now you can keep your smartphone out and sign up for online giving or texting to give or there's a kiosk in the back Or if you can't give right now, that's okay. But would you show up in a space that you can pray or serve or share your story? Don't miss this. Don't miss what God is doing. Let me pray for us. Jesus, ultimately, we have nothing of value to offer you that you haven't already at first given to us. And yet, even though you're surrounded by angels singing your praises, Every moment of every day for eternity, the sweetest sound to your heart is us saying, yes. Say, I want to take a step. I want to worship you on a sacrifice because I saw what Jesus did for me. And so God, I pray that for those of us that call this house our home, that we would say, I want to actually take the responsibility to create a sense of home for someone else. That while my faith is personal, it's not just for me. I'm so thankful for so many people that do that so effortlessly and consistently, but God, there's growth for all of us. There's growth for me. So may we have our eyes on things above, not on earthly things. May we be followers and not consumers. May we recognize that Jesus, you are the cornerstone that we want to build our life on and that you gather us together as an assembly to build our living stones on top of you the chief cornerstone. Jesus, we are here for you. You are our king. You are our leader. You are the one that paid it all. And so it's in your name that we pray and that we praise you now. Amen.